had to guess, there's three types of people here this morning. One would be an unbeliever who has not trusted in Christ yet. A second person might be a believer who has trusted in Christ but has not learned to live by faith. And the third is a believer who has trusted in Christ and has learned to live by faith. Uh, Paul's message today, which is a famous text, Justification by Faith, actually, I think, is targeted more, I mean, obviously it covers all of us, but more specifically applies to number two. That person who has been justified by faith, but has not learned how to live by faith. And doing that, living by works daily, and understanding, okay, I'm saved by grace through faith, that it's not my works that saves me, I'm justified by faith, we're going to look at all that today. And then living by works as if it depends on my works each day, is a lot like a son and a father who have a relationship where the, the son knows, okay, I know my dad loves me, he's my dad, I'm his son, He has to love me. Uh, And I know that when I do something bad, it's not going to, he's not going to disown me. But it's living with this idea that I have to perform to really embrace my father's love. Or I have to perform to really have my, my dad love me fully and to pour his love out on me. When I, maybe it's football, maybe it's basketball or some sport that if, or maybe it's grades, or maybe it's just doing what he's told me to do. It's the idea of feeling like as a son or a daughter that my performance affects my father or mother's love and acceptance of me. And then perhaps if I do a good job that day, I come home and tell my dad how well I did. And he says, well, son, let's go out to eat tonight. And he takes me out and he buys me dinner. And it's this awesome father-son night. And he's just kind of puffed up and he's proud of me. And we run into some friends at the restaurant. And he pulls me over there and he brags on me a little bit. Man, I feel good. He feels good. And it's just a great night. We go home, have a great conversation in the car. That night, I feel like my dad loves me. And it's an awesome feeling. But then those days where maybe I messed up, didn't do as well in sports, or didn't make the grade, or I didn't obey, made a bad decision, and I get the silent treatment at best, or perhaps he gets angry at me and lashes out at me, kind of withholds his affections. There's no dinner that night going out. It's just kind of separation, that sense And, you know, it's not a good way to live. That's not the ideal. All of us can admit, as a a child, we've experienced that. As a parent, we've done that. Because we're imperfect. We're not the Heavenly Father. And that's what makes it so hard for us to believe Paul's message today. Because here's Paul's message today is that not only are you right with God and made a child of God and justified by faith alone based solely on the merits of Christ, but every single day of your existence, if you're in Christ, the Heavenly Father fully lavishes His love on you unconditionally. It has zero to do with your performance. And that's just hard to believe. It's hard to accept. As soon as we say that, something in our mind says, yeah, but 
What about this and what about that? And that's what we're going to look at today. That's the whole idea of justification by faith, but not only justification by faith, but living daily by faith as well. We're going to look at Galatians 2, 15 through 21, and these verses have some famous verses that many of us have may, maybe have memorized. And remember, this is written right on the heels of last week where Peter had denied, or Peter had uh, fallen into this trap of living as if his acceptance depended on certain behavior of the laws, and so he, his hypocrisy, he began to pull away from the Gentiles, and so Paul calls them out, and here we get these verses 15 through 21 of Galatians chapter 2. Paul says, We are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Lord, please help us this morning. There are concepts in these verses that are profound and will have a profound impact on our life, on our relationship with you, on how we view every aspect of being a Christian, a follower of Christ. Yet it is so subtle that it's easy for us to miss the profound difference that Paul is writing about. And so we need your Holy Spirit, Lord, today. To open our eyes and ears and hearts and minds to grasp the, the profound truths of the gospel that Paul is highlighting here. So that we can fully bring glory to your name with our lives. It's in Christ that we ask these things. Amen. All right, so let me just give a, a generic or overview of the text and the outline here. First of all, Paul in verse 16 lays out the main thesis, justification by faith. You are justified by faith alone. And in verse 20, he also says, and living by faith is what flows from justification by faith. Every day, our standing with God has everything to do with Christ and nothing to do with our performance. Then Paul, knowing that this can sound scandalous, knowing that there's going to be many people say, whoa, wait a minute now. You can't downplay obedience like that. He deals with an objection with the answer, no, it doesn't lead to sin. And then he makes three 
points of argument saying why this is true. So first of all, verse 15, justification by faith alone. He begins by acknowledging that we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Now, what he's saying there, it's a strange phrase to say we're not sinners. That In the NIV, it puts it in quotations to say that this is a way they used to refer to the Gentiles, those Gentile sinners. The Jews kind of viewed themselves as pious and better than the Gentile sinners just by the fact that they weren't Jews, they were sinners. And so Paul is acknowledging with Peter as he, on the heels of this scene of hypocrisy, he says, listen, we are Jews. We do have a special position with God, a special place in God's plan. You see, what God did in in his wisdom is he selected this group of people whom we call Jews, descendants of Abraham. And he says, I'm going to mark you out to to be my representatives to the nations. I want the nations to know me through you. And so he does them something. He delivers them out of Egypt and he pulls them to the mountain at Mount Sinai. And Moses is a part of God's plan to give them laws. He gives them what we call the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law had three aspects to it. They had some civil law type idea. Like we have uh, govern our, our rules that govern our society. God gave them laws to govern them as a people. Kind of like speed limits and don't kill each other. And, and they had within them also the moral law. This is the value of life and God. And here's how you take care. And so these laws provided a civil society, a just society of people that displayed, man, this awesome God created this system for these people. And look how orderly. They went from this mass group of people that were kind of chaotic coming out of Egypt to an orderly society of people living in a moral, just society. And then you have the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws were God's way of allowing his people, though they were sinful, to have intimacy with the holy God. He says, here's my tabernacle. I will dwell there. Here's the sacrificial system that if you perform these sacrifices, it atones temporarily for sin so I can be with you and you can worship me. And the, the dietary law says, don't mingle with the Gentiles because you'll fall into worship of their gods. And so it set them apart, marked them out, gave them a way to worship God and to be enjoy and to enjoy intimacy with God. That's what the Mosaic law was all about. And then later, God gave these these Hebrews or these Jews the Jewish Hebrew scriptures. And the Hebrew scriptures were were what we what we see referred to as the law, prophet and writings. And so it's a little confusing because the law, first five books of your Bible, contains within them the Mosaic law. So we get confused when we hear the law. Are we talking about the Mosaic law, the Pentateuch? So the concept is the Mosaic law was given to them. We can read about some of that in the Bible, which your first five books are often referred to as the law. But what that does, the Hebrew scriptures tells them how to properly think about the Mosaic law. It told them don't make the law into a ladder of righteousness. Don't take those ceremonial laws and turn them into a means of making yourself right with God. They were to point you to the one like Moses who was going to come. Jesus who came on the cross. They were to point you to every time you offered a sacrifice. You weren't earning righteousness. You were looking forward to the blood of Jesus Christ who would come. So you see how it worked. It was do this out of faith. This is the response of faith. I'm trusting in the future blood of Jesus Christ. 
doing the act itself did not make them righteous with God. And so what we see in the scriptures is that Paul is saying, don't make the same mistake after you've even trusted in Christ. See, we have the scriptures been given to us in a very similar way. In our scriptures, we have commands that are both positive and negative. Do this, don't do this. Do this, assemble together as believers. Do not forsake the assembly of yourself as the manner of some is, but continue to meet together, spur each other on to love and good deeds and so much more as you see the day of his return approaching. You know, eat together, be together, participate in the Lord's Supper together, study the scriptures together, memorize my word, meditate on my word, do good to others, bear one another's burdens, serve the widows, take care of the poor. Take my gospel to all nations. Make disciples of all nations. These are all commands that God has given us, much like the law that God gave the Jews. In there, we also see the prohibitions. We'll see it later in Galatians 5, where he says, don't do those things that your flesh wants to do. As believers, don't give yourself over to drunkenness and carousing and and filthy living. Don't do that. That's not God's will for you. And so we have to be careful not to do the same thing the Jews did. We cannot take those commands, do this and don't do this, and turn them into a means of righteousness with God. We cannot turn them into a way of justifying ourselves. Here Paul says, justification is by faith alone and not by works of obedience to the law. And so we see that's true for us, and we need to understand as well, it was, what does justification mean in the first place? In verse 16, he says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And so what Paul is saying, yes, it was a great gift to have the Mosaic law as a Jew. But it's wrong to turn something that was your gain into something that actually is your loss. When you turn that law into a a ladder of righteousness, it's not helping you, it's hurting you. And Paul says that later in scriptures. What I considered gain, I now count as lost to Christ Jesus. And so for us, yes, the word of God is a tremendous blessing. It has within it God revealing to us, this is good for you. This is the life that I want you to enjoy. Stay away from these things. These are good. This is how you worship me. This is how I want you to live. This is the path of abundant life. But don't turn it into you thinking that if you do these things, that your performance will earn my righteousness or my love. Justification is by faith alone, not by keeping the commands of Scripture. So what is justification? Justification is getting a not guilty verdict. It's getting an acquittal. It's being a criminal standing before a judge and the judge saying, you are acquitted, you are not guilty. In fact, we all stand condemned, the scripture says, before the judge needing an acquittal, needing a a forgiveness, needing a not guilty verdict. And that's what justification is. 
It's God, the holy, righteous judge, giving us a favorable verdict based on something. And what Paul is saying is that favorable verdict from God comes only based on faith in Jesus Christ. Not in pointing to your ability to keep the commands of Scripture. You see, when we try to point to our own ability to keep the commands of scriptures as we stand before the judge and say, well, here's what I did. I'm hoping that gives me justification, a new verdict. It's like, if you remember Castro, that's the man in Cleveland, Ohio, who kidnapped those girls for a decade in his home. When he had his day in court, imagine him standing before the judge and the judge says, on what basis should I give you a not guilty verdict? How ludicrous would it be for him to say, well, for those 10 years, I did go to church every Sunday. For those 10 years, I helped my neighbor. I fed them. I took care of them. I studied the Bible. I memorized scripture. Do you really think that erases what you've done? Are you serious? You think that you're keeping these commands which are meant to be good for you? Do you think for somehow that covers what you've done? It's ludicrous. And we'll see in this text that Paul is saying we're in the same position as we stand before a holy God. And we just need to understand it. So Paul says, your justification with God only comes by faith. Not by your ability to point to your works of the law and say, yes, I've done good. The point Paul is making, you are 100% accepted, loved, acquitted, forgiven forever and ever and ever based solely on Jesus Christ. You and what you do with the scriptures, obedience or lack of obedience has zero to do with his acceptance of you. I could let that sink in. I could spend the rest of our time together just repeating that and hoping that one by one, somebody would at least realize how scandalous that sounds. What is the objection that rises up when you start to hear that? You're telling me, Pastor, that my obedience, we have the word of God. And when I open it and it says, do this and don't do this, whether I do this or don't do this has zero effect of my standing before God and my righteousness and his love for me. I'd say, right. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that lead to what? Doesn't that lead to a license to sin? And that's exactly what Paul anticipates that you would say. He says, that's exactly what I figured you would say. So let's look at verse 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Is Is Christ then, if if trusting in Christ means you don't have to keep the law, then is Christ leading us to sin? May it never be, he says. He says, no, absolutely not. Wait a minute. Well, you got to explain this. You got some explaining to do. 
And so he says, all right, let me give you three reasons. Let me give you three points to make here. First of all, he says, the law proves our sinfulness. Paul points out, Paul's first point is that, is the very important benefit of the law is that it proves our sinfulness. Look at verse 18. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What Paul is saying when he says rebuild what I once destroyed, if you remember, it becomes easy to see in in Peter's hypocrisy when he rebuilt the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, he was going back to thinking that he had to keep the law to be right with God. And so what Paul is saying is when I go back to legal or law-based righteousness, when I go back to performance-based righteousness, one thing happens. I don't make myself righteous I only prove that I can't be righteous. I only prove my sinfulness in my attempt to be righteous by the law. Every, if I make that list, whatever it is, I'm only going to prove that I can't make it all the way. I'm always going to fall short. The scriptures tells you, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And so what Paul is saying is, if you honestly evaluate your life against the law, you're going to find you only prove that you're a sinner. It's not going to make you righteous. It's just going to make you guilty. That's what you get when you live according to the law. It's guilt. Condemnation. But the problem is, we don't believe that. We think, eh, I'm pretty good at the law. Because I'm not like that Castro guy. And as long as we compare ourselves to someone else we can find someone that we're better than. And we can feel righteous. And what do we call that? Self-righteous. And what does that do to the spirit of the church? We saw last week a judgmental self-righteousness is becomes the spirit of the church instead of unconditional love and acceptance. And so Paul is saying, if you're honestly evaluating your life according to the standard in the law, which is be ye perfect, you'll come to the same conclusion that we all come to, whether Jew or Gentile, is I've only proved I'm unrighteous when I go to the law. So the result of the law, of preaching the law, out of fear that someone's going to go act like a sinner if they hear grace, is not righteousness. It's guilt and condemnation and self-righteous exaltation and legalism and judgmentalism and division and the church and a lack of liberty. It's horrible. So I understand this idea of saying, wait, we can't be, we got to be careful here. You're going to give people a license to sin, but... We need to hear what Paul's saying is, no, no, no. Preaching the law does not produce righteousness. It produces condemnation, guilt, and self-exaltation. That's his first point. So what in the world do we have the law for? Well, we see that just like they receive the law as Jews, the Mosaic law, why do we have the commands and scriptures? The commands and scriptures prove to be a tremendous blessing to our life. Yes, it's important, but it's not a ladder to righteousness. It's a path of God's abundant life. 
It's a path showing you this is the path of abundant life. Do this and don't do this and you enjoy the blessings of God. Now, it's not necessarily, oh, so you will make a lot of money if you walk. That's not how it works. It's the full abundance and enjoyment of God himself. His blessings of peace and righteousness and that concept. And so we see there's this path of blessing that we are free to live within that, that, those curbs. Do this and don't do this. And it's an abundant life. But if you're walking through the woods, if you're a hunter and you're walking through the woods and you don't have a path marked out to your deer stand yet, what happens? You kind of wander over here, you wander over there, and you kind of lose your north reference and you start to get lost. The next thing you know, you don't really know what's going on. You don't know if you're on the path or off the path. But if you have a path that's been cut out by your four-wheeler to your stand, if you get off the path, it's very clear that you have gotten off the path. You've missed the mark. And that's what the commands of Scripture do for us, is when there's a very clear path, not only is it a path of abundant life, deer stand, right? That's abundant life. Not only is it a path of abundant life, but it also reveals I have gotten off the path. And I need to get back on the path. And so it makes everyone realize I definitely missed the mark and have gotten off the path of righteousness. And I need some other basis of righteousness. So first of all, the law proves our sinfulness. The second point Paul makes is that faith produces godliness. The objection is, wait a minute, isn't that going to produce sinfulness? And he says, no, faith doesn't produce sinfulness. Living by faith produces godliness, that thing which you're very concerned about. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in these famous verses, Paul is making the opposite point that living by faith, instead of producing sinfulness, it actually frees us and fuels us to produce godliness in our life. At the heart of Paul's argument is this idea of being united or a union with Christ. He uses all this strange language of, I. Through the law, I died to the law, but I'm not dead because I'm living. But it's not really me living, it's Christ living. And because I'm dead and I'm living, it's just like, what in the world is he talking about? The best way to understand it is this. By faith, there's this union with Christ. Paul's in Christ, Christ is in Paul. That has produced such a radical inward transformation that Paul would say, it's not even me living anymore. This is Christ living in and through me. And yeah, I still struggle in this life of the flesh. But instead of thinking about it the way I did, it's, it's completely different now. And so he says this union with Christ radically changes everything. He's not talking about a physical living, that physical dying and living though I, living though I died. He's saying living in the sense of what controls me. What defines me, what motivates me, what energizes me, what gives my life purpose, meaning, and direction. He says, it used to be the law. 
I used to live passionately and zealously to keep the law that God would say, you're right with me, you're okay, I accept you. I used to be motivated by keeping the law. I used to be energized by my desire to be made right with God by keeping the law. I used to be driven by that. I used to be defined by that. I was known as the one who was zealously trying to keep the law for God. But now it's radically different. Now I am defined by, I am in Christ. I am driven by my desire to walk with Christ, to have faith in Christ. I am energized by the Spirit of God who enables me to live for the glory of God. I am now by faith victorious over the sins of my past and I can live for Christ and for God's glory. I am divine by that. I am, my purpose is that. It is everything that I am is in Christ. And so he says, now the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. What a radically different view. Now he says, who am I? I'm a son. The language changes from a judge and a criminal to a relation of love with the Son of God. Paul is saying, "That's what defines me now is I'm the righteous son of God. I'm the righteous son of Christ. He adopts me. He loves me so much he gave himself for me. And yeah, I still suffer and I have difficulties and I still even sin. But when I sin, everything's different now. Instead of thinking, I better do something better to perform better so that God will love me and accept me and put his arm around me. Instead, now I'm applying and appropriating the gospel to myself saying, yes, even when I sin, he loves me. Even when I sin, his blood covers me. Even when I fall short, he says, I love you. I fully accept you. You're covered. That's forgiven. You're acquitted. You're righteous. Because it's not about your performance, it's about Christ. And that radically changes everything. It doesn't produce within you a heart that says, well, let's go sin all the more. It produces within you a joyful, repentant heart that says, God is awesome and I want to live for His glory. This truly is the path of abundant life. I want to do these things and I want to stay away from these things. One, because it's abundant life. And most importantly, it reveals how glorious my Savior is. So does getting the concept that your obedience does nothing for your righteous standing with God lead to sin? May it never be. When you get this concept, you finally have the fuel you need to live a glorious life to Him. See, as long as you think your obedience is earning some merit with God, you are bringing glory and honor to yourself and your performance. But as soon as you start living with the reality that I am only doing this out of gratefulness, that I am covered in the blood of Christ, out of the value of Christ in my life, that I so am overwhelmed by His grace and His goodness, that it produces in me a joyful obedience, it reveals how glorious God is to me. 
So the gospel of grace does not fuel sinful behavior. It is the rocket fuel of godliness and glory in your life. So far from the fear of if you tell people that obedience doesn't produce righteousness, they're going to sin, it's the exact opposite. If you tell people that it is your obedience doesn't lead to righteousness, then they finally begin to obey to the glory of God instead of themselves. At this point, there's some in here who want to say, well, wait a minute, what about 1 John 1, 9? 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's not it. 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sins, then he, then he is faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. What, 1 John is, what John is saying in 1 John is not that you have some sin on your account and you better confess it and ask God to forgive you and then he will to make you righteous again. That is not what he is saying. He is speaking to believers and he's saying, here's what true believers do. True believers admit they're sinners. True believers don't deny that they're sinful. They admit they're sinful. And that's evidence that they are true believers. That's evidence that Christ has covered their sin. And so what we do when we sin and disobey the law of God is not deny it, oh, I'm saved. No, we say, I praise God that he's covered even that sin. And in that grace, that gospel motivates us to continue to fight that sin with all of the Spirit's power that we have. So the law proves our sin. Faith produces godliness. And finally, righteousness based on the law nullifies grace. Look at verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What a fatal blow that should make to any one of us who with good intentions with a sincere desire to honor God, say, obedience to the commands, performance is important in the sense that it makes you righteous with God, even as a believer. What we need to understand is that makes a mockery of the cross. For us to think that anywhere in the process, entering the relationship or continuing the relationship, if any righteousness comes from our performance, then Christ died needlessly. When we say that, we are spitting on Christ. We are mocking Christ. We are making it a foolish decision to go to the cross. If we could make ourselves righteous, if we could do any merit-based righteousness, Christ would say, well, then you've got to do it all righteously. You've got to keep it all to be righteous. And I'm not going to the cross. And so to think that your obedience has an ounce of righteousness in it, it makes a, a mockery of the cross. As good intended as it is, because I know that no one says this to, to say, I, I want to make a mockery. It's to say, I want to make sure that we don't sin. I want to make sure that we bring glory to God. It doesn't do that. It mocks God. And it brings glory and honor to your ability and my ability to keep the rules or to perform. 
And it is not the gospel that Jesus has been living and preaching. So what does all this say to us? Number one, quit comparing yourself to others who are worse than you. Quit comparing yourself to other people and saying, well, I'm pretty good at keeping the law because you're not. Neither am I. And as long as we do that, we think we can and that our obedience is actually earning something with God. And we need to understand that we're all just like that criminal Castro standing before the judge. And anything we point to to think it did some, something good, it's like, really? You realize what you've done over here? It doesn't earn any righteousness. It doesn't earn some favor with the judge. Number two, if you are in Christ, quit trying to earn your heavenly Father's approval with your performance. You already have it in Christ. He already loves you unconditionally. It's not conditioned on your performance. He looks at Christ 24-7 and says, that's why I love you fully. No matter what. The author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, wrote this. Run, John, run. The law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. The gospel gives you wings To fly to the glory of God. The law does nothing but bring self-righteousness and condemnation and guilt. Finally, if you still think you're honoring God by insisting that performance matters for righteousness, stop. It doesn't honor God. It makes a mockery of the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so unbelievably blessed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, who most of us are in that category number two. We have been saved, justified, knowing that that is solely based on the merits of Christ and His blood and nothing that we could do could save ourselves. But help us live each day by faith and not to revert back to living by the law. Help us to truly grasp the truth that you fully accept us and love us unconditionally. Not based on our performance. But based solely on Christ. So that then we will have the fuel of grace and gratitude and joy that leads us to live and strive to live to your glory. To live according to your word because knowing you bless in that path and because you are a glorious God who covers all our sin. 
Lord, help us to grasp the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It does not lead to a license to sin. It leads to a liberation to live to the glory of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.